Mark chapter 14. We'll start in verse 66 and we'll go to the end of the chapter. Uh, I recently stumbled across a video uh, in which an art restorer restored a painting. I'm not well versed in the world of art restoration, so this was all very, very new to me. Uh, Someone had brought him a painting and it was covered in so much yellowing varnish and grime that you could hardly even see the picture underneath all of it. It had some tears and holes in it as well. And it was fascinating for me to watch as this guy was so meticulous and so patient and so careful in the way he restored the painting, and and thorough also. He didn't just fix the front. uh, He took special care of the back of the painting, uh, the part that no one would ever see. He spent tons of time on cleaning up all the edges, all the dirt. Even the very edges of the painting, he did repair work on them. He did the back and the edges before he even began to work on the front. And then, of course, he took so much time and care to, uh, to fix the front of the picture. There was not one part of that painting this man did not touch or repair. And the end result <laughs> was surprisingly stunning. I did not see it coming. Uh, when he revealed the final completed picture, he said... Now we get to see the picture as the original artist intended. As I watched this video, I saw echoes of Jesus, the restorer of people. He takes people who are barely recognizable due to the effects of our sin. He fixes what is broken and he restores us to what our original artist intended. He has the unique ability and the right to do this kind of restoration work in our lives because he gave his life for yours. He's the God who came, took on flesh, and went to the cross, and he died in our place for our sin. And because of that, his restoration work is costly beyond measure, and the result is beautiful almost beyond description. So this morning, we're going to see a man who is destroyed by sin and then saved by the grace of God. Our story occurs just mere hours away from the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to look at the absolute worst moment in Peter's life. Can you imagine if your worst moment was on display for everyone to see all the time? That's what we have here in Peter. And Peter's going to be a teacher to us today through his failure and through his experience of the grace of Jesus. The story we read is a bleak story. It's a very dark story, but it's not all darkness. I want us to walk out of here this morning having seen the light of God's grace shining through Peter's failure. So my purpose today in preaching this passage is that you would find in Jesus, our crucified Savior, your rescue and restoration from sin. Does anyone need a fresh start today? Anyone walk in here today with a heart that's hard towards the Lord? 
carrying shame from sin, wishing you had done better, but instead you know you did the worst. That's where Jesus meets us today in the story of Peter. Peter teaches us three things related to our rescue from sin. He's going to show us what's wrong with our hearts. He's going to teach us about the pain of sin, and he's going to teach us about the beautiful grace of Jesus for sinners like me and you. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 66. Here's the setting before we dive in. Remember, Jesus has been arrested. He was just arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by religious authorities. He was taken uh, to a house where the Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin has gathered, and Jesus is undergoing a sham religious trial And that's when we pick up with Peter. We find Peter just outside of the very building that Jesus is going through this sham trial and this beating in. So follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So it's a heavy passage. It's a dark story for sure. But in this story, uh, the grace of Jesus shines through. So let's highlight three things Peter teaches us about our rescue from sin. If you're taking notes, the first thing Peter teaches us in this story is Peter teaches us what's wrong with our hearts. He teaches us what's wrong with our hearts. So just to recap the story, Mark has taken us into the courtyard of a large house, and the house belongs to the high priest Caiaphas. And inside this house, the Sanhedrin and their thugs are putting Jesus through a sham trial. We studied it last week. If you weren't with us, I'd encourage you to get on the website and listen so you can follow with us as we walk with Jesus to the cross. Uh, Inside that trial, nothing good happens, and and in fact, uh, Jesus is falsely accused. Jesus, you'll remember, owns his identity as the Christ, and for that, he is pummeled by the authorities inside the house. All the while, Peter, in a parallel story, is outside the house as Jesus endures the fire of these men. Peter warms himself by a fire. And a servant girl seems to recognize Peter as someone who was with Jesus. And for the first time, Peter denies it. And then Peter moves away from the fire. I love sort of the flow of the story. Peter, warming by the fire, the girl says, aren't you one of them? He goes, no. And then he moves as if to shake her off of his tail. But this little girl is persistent. She follows him, and then she says to the people around him, this guy is 
one of them. A second time, Peter denies it. You see, the problem with Peter is that his accent betrays him. Whenever he talks, the people around him can tell he's not a city boy from Jerusalem. He's a country boy from Galilee. They know, just, just like your funny accents, every time you talk, people know you're from someplace specific. Peter, a third time, someone else says, no, you, you're Galilean. There's no mistaking it. And at this, Peter redlines, and he denies Jesus a third time. Look at verse 71 in your Bible. Verse 71 says that Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Uh, Whenever we read the words curse and swear, our first inclination might be to understand them according to our modern definition of what cursing and swearing is. Uh, But this just isn't the case here in verse 71. The word curse doesn't mean foul language, but it means literally a curse. If you're familiar with Paul's letter to the Galatians, he uses a word in Galatians, the same word that's used here for curse, the word is anathema. He's calling, according to the translation we've read, he's calling down a curse on himself. And he's doing that in order to add validity to his denial of Jesus. And then we're told that he swears at them. Again, this is not swearing as you and I think of swearing. It's the type of swearing as if one is swearing an oath. So in essence, here's what Peter does when he curses and swears. He's saying to them, uh, a curse be on me. May I be damned if I'm lying. I swear to you, I have no idea who this man is. And the more Peter swears the more his accent betrays him. He's essentially telling the people around him, hey, not only am I a Galilean, I'm also a liar. So what was Peter's sin in the courtyard on this night? It's, it's more than lying for sure. Peter's sin is denying his identity with Jesus. Peter is turning his back on Jesus in order to save his own skin. A lot of times when we study this passage, we'll draw a comparison between the servant girl who calls out Peter and the ferocious men who are attacking Jesus. Jesus stands firm in the face of these ferocious men, but Peter waffles in the face of this servant girl. And it's kind of almost as if we're mocking Peter a little bit. Oh, look at Peter. Can't even stand up to a little girl. But look, I am a father of four daughters And I can testify, (laughs) little girls can be terrifying. (laughs) Anyone want to testify today? We'll wait on you right now. And they are sugar and spice and everything nice also. The point of the story here is is not necessarily to highlight um, this difference between the men in the house with Jesus and this little servant girl. There's something there. I don't think that's the main point, though, The point's not the smallness of the girl, but the sinfulness of Peter's heart. Peter's sin is so ingrained in him, and sin is so effective in us that we are all susceptible to denying Jesus if it might benefit us in some small way. Have you ever denied Jesus? We've never been in the same situation Peter was in. I don't think so anyways. But denial of Jesus 
happens in many different ways. In fact, I would argue that every sin is a denial of Jesus. The person who lies denies their identity with Jesus and distorts the truth in order to benefit themselves in some way. The person who loses their temper on someone else denies their identity with Jesus and indulges their anger for their own benefit. The thief, the racist, the adulterer, all sinners deny their identity with Jesus in order to sin for their own perceived benefit. So we may mock Peter for being bested by a servant girl, but look, I've said no to Jesus and yes to sin in the face of far lesser threats, in the face of no threats of all, just for the indulgence of flesh. Every one of us shares Peter's heart problem. And this is highlighted in our story by comparing Jesus and Peter. The religious trial of Jesus and Peter's denials, they happen on parallel tracks as the story unfolds. When we compare the two, we find Jesus faithful at every step, and we find Peter a failure at every step. Right? Peter denies his identity with Christ, but Jesus declared his identity as the Christ. Peter succumbs to the pressure of a benign crowd, but Jesus withstood the pressure of a true worldly power. Peter was correctly accused. Jesus was falsely accused. Peter fled into the night. Jesus went to the cross. So the story tells us much, much more than just that we need to be courageous in the face of threats. See, we don't have a courage problem. We have a sin problem. This is where we identify with Peter in this story. He teaches us about this heart problem, this sin problem that every one of us has. Now, here's where this is a challenge for you to believe if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ at this moment. There are competing narratives around our sinfulness from the world outside of the church and the word of God that forms the church. The message of the world is this. Jesus, we're broken and Jesus has come to affirm you in your brokenness. The message of the Bible is this. We're all broken, and Jesus has come to save you from your brokenness. Those are very different messages that you have to, you have to reconcile as we see Peter encounter his sin. Is Jesus going to affirm Peter's sin? Is he going to say, you're okay just as you are, or does he rescue him? Affirmation does not require death on a cross, but salvation does. And so in Peter, again, the message is repeated that all of us, like Peter, all of us, are marred by sin. That's not all Peter teaches us. It's a heavy message so far. It gets a little heavier before it gets better. The second thing Peter teaches us is he teaches us the pain of sin. He teaches us about our own heart condition, and then he teaches us about the pain of sin. Here at the very end of the story, I want you to look at verse 72 with me. 
Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. So Peter's denied Jesus the third time. Now, verse 72, the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter's a man whose soul is in chaos in this story. Let's think about what we've seen in Peter just in the events of this very night. You remember that earlier Jesus predicted, told Peter, you will deny me three times. And how did Peter respond to this word that's true and gracious? Peter said, no, I will never deny you. You are wrong, Jesus. I would never deny you. Uh, in fact, Peter says, Jesus, I will die for you if that's what I have to do. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he can't even fight off sleep. When the mob comes to arrest Jesus, right, Peter swings a sword wildly in the dark and hacks off some guy's ear. But soon after that, he's fleeing into the dark to save his own life. After that, Peter's got enough courage to follow the arresting party to the high priest's home. We often talk about Peter as a coward, but he has some reserves of courage in him to follow that mob, to be in the courtyard just outside the house where Jesus is being pummeled. That takes courage. But then in the courtyard, he denies knowing Jesus three times. He's a man in chaos. The rooster crows and he remembers the words Jesus spoke to him. When Peter weeps at the realization of his sin, we're seeing the devastating impact of sin. Sin can have a couple of different effects on us. Sin can soften us like it did Peter when he realized what he had done, or sin can harden us like it hardened the men accusing and beating Jesus. Regardless, sin always results in remorse. There's never going to be a time where you will walk in sin and be better for it. You may say, well, I I know people who live in gross sin. They don't seem to be hating life too much. Well, look, the reality is this. The remorse for sin may be felt in an immediate moment, like Peter felt it, or that remorse can be felt in an eternal moment. But that remorse is coming. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells us a story about a rich man who dies, and because of his sin and his rejection of God, he is sent to hell. And from hell, the man begs for someone to warn his five brothers of this horrible place. The rich man did not feel remorse for his sin during his earthly life, but he felt it every torturous moment of his eternal life. Peter teaches us that we should grieve our sin now or we will grieve it forever. There's a wonderful promise from Jesus that is especially for people like Peter who mourn their sin. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, in a section of Scripture we call the Beatitudes. And the promise from Jesus is this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we read this beautiful promise from Jesus, normally we relate it to just general sadness and grief. 
Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. When I'm sad, when I grieve, I want to call on this promise. And there's truth in that. And to be sure, Jesus is a comforter to us in our heartbroken moments. But in the context of the Beatitudes, that promise has a more specific application. Those who mourn are not just those who happen to be sad or teary. It's specifically those who are mourning their sin. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who are saddened by their sin because they will be comforted. One writer put it this way, confession of sin is one thing, but contrition over sin is another. There's such a thing as Christian tears, and too many of us shed too few of them. But there's good news for Peter and for All of us, those who mourn their sin are not left in tears. They'll be comforted by God on high with the only comfort that can relieve our distress. Only the one we've sinned against is capable of lifting that grief and in its place giving comfort. The greatest comfort of all is the removal of the sin that causes the grief in the first place and a restoration of our relationship with the one we've sinned against and the one who takes that sin away. Peter meets this promise of Jesus in this story. Peter meets the rescue of Jesus. Peter's taught us so far about our heart condition. He's taught us about the pain, the remorse of sin. But the third thing, the light in the story, you've held on, here it is. Peter teaches us the beautiful grace of Jesus. He teaches us the beautiful grace of Jesus. Now, one thing I've tried to do in our study of Mark, especially in this passion narrative portion, is I've really tried to keep us anchored in Mark's gospel. So I don't know if you've noticed or not, but in our Sundays, especially in the Passion Narrative, I'm not pulling from other gospels, from Matthew or Luke or John, to sort of fill in details and fill in what we might think are perceived gaps. To be sure, when you read those other gospels, you're going to get some different details but I just I want us to take what Mark gives us, and I want us to live in this gospel. I'm not saying it's bad to harmonize. I'm not saying that at all. But I want us just to, like Mark's original audience, just hear what Mark says and live in that. So where's the grace here? Because, again, your first thought might be, I'll just go to the gospel of John, and we're going to see Jesus do this. But I'm telling you, there's grace on display in a passage we've already read, and in a passage in Mark that we have not yet read, Peter's denials, Peter's failures are surrounded by the grace of Jesus Christ. So I want you to look with me in chapter 14, back at verse 27. Look at verse 27. This is after the Last Supper, as Jesus and his disciples are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, And look at what Jesus says, verse 27. He says to his disciples, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. So look, Jesus predicted 
Peter's denials. That's true. But that's not all he predicted. Do you know what else he predicted? He also, in this passage, predicted Peter's restoration. Did you see it? Verse 28. After I have risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I'm going to go to the cross. I will rise and then I will meet you in Galilee. He doesn't say, you're going to deny me and I'm going to punch you out of my kingdom. I'm going to drop you from the covenant. No, he says, I'm going to meet with you in Galilee. And there we have echoes of restoration. Jesus knows what Peter will do, his failures. Jesus knows where he will go to the cross for this sin. And he will meet with Peter again in Galilee. Let's look at a passage after that we haven't read yet in chapter 16. Look at chapter 16, verse 6. So before Peter denies there's grace, Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. He's saying, Peter, this denial is not going to be the last of you. And then on Resurrection Sunday, women go to the tomb of Jesus to dress his body and spices. They find the stone rolled away and look at verse 6. They enter and they see an angel. Verse 6, the angel says, don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Tell Peter by name. Tell the denier that the restorer will meet him in Galilee. The grace of Jesus Christ is on both sides of Peter's horrible sin. When the rock hit rock bottom, (laughs) the rescuer came and lifted him up. Too many of us have been taught that when we sin, we anger Jesus and then we have to do religious things to get Jesus back on our side. But that's not what happened here, is it? Jesus has given grace before, in the midst of, and after. The grace of Jesus Christ to Peter just envelops this whole scene. But do you know what changes Peter? What takes him from a denier to something different, something better? It's not the remorse over his sin, although that's important. What do you know about Peter's story? What is it that changes Peter? He's changed when he encounters the resurrected Christ. He's changed when he encounters the resurrected Christ. And that change goes marrow Deep. He's utterly transformed by his encounter, his faith in, his trust in the resurrected Jesus. Peter goes from denying Jesus to a servant girl to preaching Jesus to thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Peter goes from denying Jesus to a servant girl to being arrested and beaten for preaching Jesus in Acts chapter 4 and then praising God for the privilege of suffering in his name. So it begs the question of us, Have I gone to the resurrected Jesus with all of my sinful failure? The question is not just, do I feel bad today? What have I done with that remorse? We've got to take it to Jesus. Look, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you need to know that 
like Peter, your life is in need of an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. It would be wrong of you to walk out of here today and to appeal to some religious deeds or actions you've done in your past or good intentions you carry in order to assume that Jesus is going to overlook sin and be okay with it. That's not how sin is cared for, removed, forgiven. What happens is Jesus calls you to himself. That remorse, if that remorse over sin is in my estimation, the beginnings of Jesus awakening faith in you. To weep for sin like Peter did. To know I've violated my relationship with God. I've, I've defied him in my sin. I've denied him. That's the start of new life. And then we take that to Jesus who died for our sin. You, all your denials, all of your sin, all of your grossness. Jesus is held accountable for that. He dies in our place and then he rose again. If you would encounter the risen Christ, you do in as much as you've seen his word today. And you put your faith in him and you turn from all this sin, put your faith in Jesus. The restorer does his work. There's a difference in the metaphor though. The art restorer takes a piece that originally was perfect and then he cleans the grime to bring it back to almost perfection. Here's the deal. The Bible tells us we start mired in sin. There's nothing in us that deserves the grace we've been shown. We start mired in sin, but our God of grace comes to rescue and to lift us. If you're a Christian, Peter's encounter here, his story of his denials, speaks to us in so many ways. It shows us the grace of Jesus when we are pressed in conviction over sin. We see the willingness of Jesus to forgive and restore you. We see the power we have in Jesus over sin. The end of chapter 14 is not a hammer that destroys us. It's a promise that lifts us, sets our eyes on Jesus Christ. So Peter's been a wonderful teacher this morning, and we've learned a lot from him. We've learned about our heart problem. That problem is sin. We've learned of the terrible impact of that sin, and we've seen the incredible grace of Jesus. And all of us, we experience failure at various times in our Christian lives, whether it's by falling into sin or allowing our relationship with God to grow cold or keeping silent about our faith in times of doubt or times of opposition. But Peter's story reminds us that God loves us despite our failings and he's always waiting with open arms to welcome us back into full fellowship with him, always. It reminds me of another story of a son who took his father's money and he went to a far-off land, and he wasted every penny on riotous living. He was destroyed by his sin. He lived like a pig. And then he decided it was time to go home. He was sorry for what he had done against his father. And he thought he would come home and meet the wrath of his father, but instead... He found his father's loving embrace. He was kissed, he was cleaned, he was dressed in new clothes, and he was restored to his family. 
So if Jesus proved his love for you by dying for you, and if Jesus removed the penalty of your sin, and if Jesus is gracious and gentle to sinners, then it seems to me it's time to come home. Let's pray together. Father God, this is our confession. All we, like Peter, have gone astray. We know Peter's story all too well. We have lived it in our lives in many, many different ways. So I'm grateful that we can identify with the brokenness in the story, and I'm so grateful that we can hold to the promise of forgiveness and restoration grace in this story. Holy Spirit, today you've pressed on our hearts conviction over our sin. And this is your gift, your grace to us. Your intention is not to merely make us miserable. It's to make us miserable in our sin that we would turn to life in Christ. So for my friends in here that don't know you as their Savior, Jesus, let them hear your voice clearly through this passage and to come to you in the beauty of your grace for every sinner who turns to you. For my brothers and sisters who are walking in desert times, Father, bring a season of refreshing. In your kindness, lead them in repentance. And let us not turn from you to the kingdom of men, but Lord, in this moment, under your grace, let us turn away from our sin and turn to you, to hold fast to our identity in you as you hold fast to us. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness. Thank you for your restoration. God, clean us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.